joined with my regular co-host, the fantastic Callum McFadden from Football CFB. Of course, you can find Callum at Callum CFB. Always a pleasure to have you here, mate. How was your weekend? Um, it was a frustrating one after after the United game. Luckily, I went to see the new Bond film, which which cheered me up um, and took my mind off it. But it was it was very frustrating, and, and I know mm. we're going to come to to many of the potential reasons why. Yes, we will dissect it. It's frustrating performance. I think frustration is really the correct word because it's sort of meh. You know, it's not terrible in the sense that it's not where United were, if you remember, leading up to the window before they signed Fernandez, where it was just a catastrophe. Everything was wrong. Everything was bad. But I have to say, Callum, this Saturday a couple of things for me. First of all, I felt for the first time in a long time, there was a growing sense of discontent amongst United match-going fans towards what they're seeing. Now, they were nowhere near turning on Solskjaer, but you could just feel the rumblings of discontent and you saw some of the comments of fans coming out. I know it's, listen, tweeting right after a game is has exactly the same problem with asking fans on the way out how they feel. You're emotional. You're not always doing things with clarity. And later on, when you calm down and you look at it from a different lens, maybe your point of view changes. And I try to be better with this myself. Uh, I've tweeted things in the immediate aftermath of a game where I've later looked back on and felt, nah, it doesn't truly reflect how I feel now that I've calmed down. But um, very frustrating at the weekend for so many different reasons. I don't want to say this ad nauseum on the podcast. Of course, I support Solskjaer, but not without question and not without reservation. Those questions and reservations potentially increased this weekend. Um, One of the things I got cooked a bit for was my criticism of Sancho. What I said was, and I've said it on this podcast many, many times, is that he's lucky Ronaldo's there to take the pressure off him. He certainly did better when he came on against Everton than he's done, but he still missed a great chance the last minute. Um... It still was nowhere near where you expect an 80 million pound footballer. And these are the games that he was bought to make a difference in. When games are tight, the 1-1 games where you need a piece of magic, you need a difference. And he hasn't done that yet. Now, he was unlucky not to get an assist. Um, but I, one of the things that I really questioned, Callum, and I thought was really interesting. Sorry for this long monologue, but this is interesting. Um, the team selection. I don't understand why he picked the team that he did, given that it's an international break. And I thought Ferguson's comments to Khabib were very, very interesting. They were very interesting in, in, in terms of Ferguson's statement that you should always pick your best players. I I found it particularly telling that Ferguson was saying that with that sort of look in his eye where we all know he's, he's talking about Ronaldo first and foremost. And, and when you look at that team, Phil, I know Everton have started the season relatively well, but I just get frustrated when Fred starts football matches at the moment. For me, he's been very poor for a period of time. And you, I, I know um, people will be saying we don't have a lot of options in that position, but if the guy's having a tough time of it, you need to come up with a different strategy because it's clearly not working. You saw that with the Everton mm-hmm. goal where he was absolutely dreadful towards the right-hand side of the touchline yeah. and, and off Everton went. I mean... It's just not good enough. And in terms of the rotation, um, as you say, I think if United um, had a game coming on Tuesday, then another game coming on maybe Saturday, early kickoff next weekend, maybe you could understand a bit of rotation. But with the international break coming up, it seemed like a very strange time to do it. 
And it made me wonder why he chose to do it, because the one thing about Cristiano Ronaldo, as we've said in this show, Phil, is he's a match winner. He's an exceptional footballer. He tries to raise the, the tempo and the attitude of those around him on the park by demanding that they give their all because he wants to win full stop. Mm-hmm. The end of that game, as Gary Neville said in Sky over here, that reaction for me put more pressure on Solskjaer and, and, and for mm-hmm. me it, it, it creates more questions because he was absolutely livid. People might be thinking, oh, maybe he was livid with his, himself and his own performance. I think if he was to speak out, which obviously I don't think he will, but I think if he was... I think he would have been absolutely livid about not starting. And I know Cavani's a great striker and he's got good movement, but for Ronaldo to be benched this early into the season in a game like that, I think that's something that was the wrong decision. I couldn't agree more. I don't understand Solskjaer's attitude towards this game. It's a game that he needs to win. You know, I was disappointed with his comments before Villarreal when he said it wasn't a must-win game. It was a must-win game. When you've lost three of your last four as a Manchester United manager, you shouldn't be that comfortable with not winning your next game. I don't care if it's against Akron Stanley. It's a must-win game for many, many different reasons. Now, they're out of the League Cup. That's a problem in the sense that United have friends, players that need games. Where are they going to get them? They're in the Champions League Group 9, where... They have to win almost every game. So the French players aren't getting a game there. FA Cup is now very important. So they're not getting a game there. So now you're looking at the likes of Tellez. Tellez had one of his best games in midweek against Villarreal. And rather than play Tellez again, he's thrown out a half-fit Luke Shaw bandage and strapped up. I don't understand that. It's, you know, I, I, just, just let me finish more. Okay. That was bizarre to me. And one of the things that I saw on Saturday, Callum, that I think was very telling, and it's the first time I've ever seen this, as I started to see rumblings of discontent amongst the players. And this is the problem when you get a star squad like this. You have to be a massive personality to manage those personalities, right? to manage players that want to play every week. You saw what happened with Van de Beek. I don't blame him. There's something extremely bizarre. We talk about this every week, but it justifies belief to me. High on earth, could four, four weeks ago, Solskjaer sit down with this guy and say, I want you to stay. You are integral to my plans, as he said. But guess what? I'm not going to play you. Now, I don't understand that because he's seen enough of him in training to know what he is in training. So, OK, he's had him at, for, at United for a year. So whatever judgments we were making on him a month ago, how has that changed? Did you lie to the guy? Fabrizio Romano says that Van Beek has to, is going to leave in January. Of course he's going to leave in January. He'd be insane not to. But then you now have a problem where United are so desperately crying out for a defensive midfielder. They're convincing a player that doesn't play to stay instead of, you know what? Let's get him out the door. Let's not carry dead wood. Let's not carry any fat. And let's get a defensive midfielder in of equal value, so Niguez was available for the same price that Van der Beek was, right, with an option to buy. Why didn't they do that? Why didn't they say to Everton, okay, you want Van der Beek on loan, you take him on loan with a mandatory buy option. That's what we're going to get with Sol Niguez like for like. They liked Sol Niguez. I don't understand why you keep a guy. Look, Van der Beek, good, top player, just hasn't worked for me United. He has to leave now to salvage his career. And I have to say, 
Solskjaer, there's clearly a reason, and it's bizarre, Camp, because it's never really been leaked out of the football club as to why Solskjaer has serious reservations about this player. But when he doesn't ever play at all, when is he the answer to any question that Solskjaer asks himself? You know, 1-0 down, do we bring Van der Beek on? No. 2-1 up, do we bring Van der Beek on? No, we wait till the game's safe and then we bring him on. That is so telling to me. It is telling and, and you summed up the situation in the summer perfectly by saying that it defies belief. If he is so out of favour, as, as, as you've explained there, with the fact that he answers zero questions for, for the manager, then why on earth is he still there? If that player knows that he's not trusted and not wanted, and I know footballers should be motivated at all times. A lot of people will reference their salary, but salary buys you comfort, as we always say in this show. It doesn't buy you mm. happiness. And he simply cannot be happy with this because it seems no matter what he does, he, he won't ever get a, a telling opportunity. The game against young boys, as we've talked about, where I thought he had a bright spell, he gets hooked off, and it was probably predictable that he would be the one to be hooked off. And yeah. another thing that puzzled me, Phil, and I know Martial scores a goal, and people might say that's a silly thing to say for me now, obviously with the beauty of hindsight, but surely if you were given players within the squad a start, Lingard deserved to start over Martial, particularly after the Villarreal game, where I know it was a, a slight camu, but he came on, he helped change the game. I think he's been more positive in, in, in recent weeks after that young boys game. Surely he's the one that would that has had more form this season to justify a start, yet he doesn't even go on the pitch at the weekend. I found I found that very bizarre as well. And and I have to say, the the coaching staff obviously work with these players on a on, on a daily basis. They they will live and, and preferably die by their decisions this season. But it's it's some of it is just baffling, as we've said, with the Ronaldo and Pogba situation of those being on the bench, particularly close to the international break. Found that strange. The Tele's incident you've talked about there. And and as I say, Lingard's another one that left me scratching my head. I just thought of all the players on that bench that you maybe uh, want within your squad to give an extended period in a game, I think he was the one that merited it the most from the from the so-called rotation options. Well, <clears throat> let me say a couple of things, Calm. Because that Ferguson video was really, really interesting to me. When he's talking to Khabib saying, yeah, but you always start with your best players. And when they saw Ronaldo wasn't playing, it gave him a lift. Ferguson was instrumental in bringing Ronaldo back. That's Ferguson's boy. You need only ask Brian Kidd to see how quickly Ferguson can turn on you. Right, when Brian Kidd was going to Blackburn, Ferguson came out and said he's not a manager. He's not, doesn't have the characteristics to be a manager, and criticised him. And it hurt Brian Kidd badly. Part of the reason why he ended up going back to Manchester City and that United, it ruined their relationship. But Ferguson will tell you what he thinks, and so it's going to need to be very, very careful because people's loyalty is conditioned is conditional upon circumstance. And when I see Ronaldo's reaction at the weekend, and I see Ferguson saying that. Solskjaer's got to be very careful because Ferguson's support is fundamental to him. Go back to when Moyes took the job at United. One of the things he feared changing was getting rid of Ferguson players for fear of Ferguson turning on. And in many ways, that was a mistake. He kept players there that shouldn't have been kept. So Solskjaer needs to be very, very careful. And to me, that was really telling at the weekend because I think Ferguson was showing his frustration at that. And Solskjaer needs friends inside Old Trafford. He needs people that's going to protect him. And if Ferguson is coming out saying that to Khabib, he needs to be very, very, very careful. And 
Ferguson will be saying this to Ronaldo. Ronaldo will be saying this to Ferguson. I hate to tell you, so the, the, Cristiano Ronaldo is much bigger than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Gary Neville said, so, uh, uh, Solskjaer needs to sit Ronaldo down to talk to him about his reaction. No chance. Do you see Solskjaer sitting Cristiano Ronaldo down saying, hey, Ronnie, you need to cut and nip that in the butt and do what I tell you. This was always the problem with signing Ronaldo. We said this how many times in this podcast? You can't lose or it gets toxic and he's going to turn against you. And he is such an iconic figure that if it comes down to Ollie versus Ronnie, Ollie's, Ollie's getting getting sacked. He isn't. And the thing that, that's telling about that, Phil, um, last week on this show, you said that, as you've just said there, when things go badly, Ronaldo's reaction will be very, very telling. I didn't expect to see that only a matter of days later, mm-hmm. if I'm honest with you. I was expecting this maybe a couple of months down the line. That October, Peter, over in October now, but towards the end of October, because you think United traditionally in recent years have done well in the big games, but maybe they'll run out of a bit of steam towards the next international break coming towards November. But to see it only a matter of days later had me... Had me worried for a few reasons. One, Ronaldo's always going to attract attention. And if he does that in October, March, May, he does that in his summer holidays, it's going to attract attention. Two, it comes after a few really unconvincing performances in a row. Leeds and Newcastle, we scored a lot of goals, but I don't think we were convincing over the full piece in those games. But in recent weeks, the the performances have have been really abject and Mm -hmm. they have been... They've been worrying at times. There's been lulls in games that are hard to explain. The intensity that we talked about last week at times appears hard to explain. And I hate to compare us to rival clubs, but you looked at that game yesterday between City and Liverpool. Now, I know it's a big game and United whatever might raise their game for another big game. But at the same time, those two teams, Liverpool were poor in the first half. The second half, the intensity that those Mm -hmm. teams played with and the structural play that they had, was absolutely phenomenal and it just made me look at it. And I said this after the game, you talked at the start about snap decisions. Based on what I have seen so far this season, United won't win either the Champions League or the Premier League based on what I have seen so far. Now, in that tweet, I did not call for Solskjaer to be sacked. I did not make a snap judgment. I just made the observations. A few people bit at me for that. That based on what I have seen, that those level of performances, the way that United are playing is, is, is basically a team of individuals in the final third rather than having a coordinated plan does not win the big trophies. It simply does not. I hope it can change. I hope positive momentum can be built. And as you said, Phil, it doesn't always need to be toxic, Ollie in, Ollie out, whatever. I don't care if Fred Red is the manager who delivers another Premier League title or a Champions League for this football club. I just care that United play in the right mm-hmm. way, put in good performances and are going in the right direction. At the moment, I'm having doubts. They are maybe starting to become lingering doubts with Ollie and whether he can take United forward. And just, just I know this is a long point, Gary Neville also mentioned on Sky um, this weekend that the worst thing that can happen for Ollie now is that he's been a positive bridge because it's undoubted mm-hmm that he has taken the football club forward from where they were under Mourinho. He stabilised the football club on the park and off the park. He created a more harmonious atmosphere. The worst thing that can happen for him now if he was to leave was he was a bridge in getting United back to the top, but he himself wasn't maybe the man to get them over the line. He has been a real positive. I'm not calling for him to to, to leave his job in the next couple of days. I'm just saying that United need to analyse this over the next few weeks. And if you want to be a football club that it is successful, you might need to make a cold, cool, calculated decision with them. 
November, December time, if you believe that gives you the best possible chance or a better chance to, to go on and win a major trophy. I'm not saying I want to see the man lose his job. I don't want to see any manager lose their job. But I think this is a crucial period for United. If they let it linger on for the season and Ronaldo shows these antics on a more regular basis, it could become toxic again. And United simply cannot afford to have another toxic uh, dressing room environment approaching the end of a season. Well, there's the things that concern me, Callum, and I know there's been similarities made with Lampard, and I sort of understand that because I can see that, is that it, results um, can often be misleading. And when I look at the result, I mean, again, against Villarreal on Wednesday, if you don't watch the game, you think 2-1, that's a good result. But let's be honest, United should have been buried the first 20 minutes, right? The only reason why they won that game was because of the outstanding brilliance of two players, of De Gea and Ronaldo. And what are United working on in training? Because we brought in a set-piece coach we can see from our own corner. We've conceded from a set-piece last week against Aston Villa. I'm looking at this going, what are United doing in training with any level of confidence that you're seeing on a pitch on a Saturday or Sunday? Ferguson always say what you see in training will manifest itself on the pitch. If that's true, that's an awful indictment of what's going on in training. Now, on the positive side, we're seeing David De Gea recover his form. We've seen this with a number of players under Solskjaer, where they've looked dead and buried and recovered and looked like the best the, the best version of themselves. I honestly think that's the case with Fred. We've seen the best of Fred, and Fred, the best of Fred, is never good enough. Come, he's just too easy to exploit his weaknesses. You heard Troy Dini talk about him on TalkSport a couple of weeks ago saying that he gets targeted in games because people know he doesn't have the technique to turn in, in, in tight spaces. He'll give you the ball. He always needs a second touch. His passing is poor and his passing is appalling. How do you play with a defensive midfielder that can't defend, that can't... Suska says he does well at breaking up attacks. Okay, that should be the bare minimum for anyone starting from Manchester United. And I, I look at this and go, such a glaring, obvious weakness that's almost neglect to not address it and say, we'll get through this, no problems, without a top defensive midfielder. You can get away with a bad left back, bad right back, bad left winger, bad right winger, but down the span of your team, you can't carry weaknesses. And so, to me, I don't understand the point of ban Ronaldo, Varane and Sancho. And it, to me, it's the equivalent of ban a Ferrari uh, and uh, you know, leaving the engine out. What's the point? Looks great in, in the driveway, but you can't, you know, it's it, going to reach the performance that you purchased it for. Shit analogy, I know, but <laughs> the point stands. I just don't understand what, like, it's just so poor, Callum, that to me, a top team, well, and if you look at the top teams, where some of their best players in Bruno Fernandez's position, which is Fred's position to defend? It's just it's 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 a, it's a serious concern. It is a serious concern, and, and the, the point on what's going on in the training ground. Obviously, we're not privy to that in terms of seeing it on a regular basis, other than the clips that, that United and uh, other media sources obviously put on Twitter. Um, but the performances on the pitch, if they are uh, a mirror of what's going on in training, then it is a serious concern. The one thing that I would say with United's coaching staff, and this is something that we've talked about a few times, is in terms of real experience within the coaching game, 
you're looking at Michael Carrick, former United player, has been coaching for a couple of years, but he's been coaching at United like Ollie in this sort of transitional period where things have started to improve, but he's never coached through a really, really tough, tough period or coached at several different clubs and experienced different cultures in terms of football. You look at Kieran McKenna, who obviously was at Tottenham, came in, was working with younger players when he was there. He's now came to United working with the first team. You've got Mike Phelan, who you tweeted today, Phil. I think so many people forget he's, he's technically the assistant manager because mm. we don't hear from him an awful lot. I don't want to be disparaging and say we don't see him do an awful lot because obviously I could be wrong with that. On the training ground, I could be proven differently. But one of the things you hear a lot of the time is that Ollie is maybe old school in the sense that Sir Alex Ferguson wasn't the most hands-on coach in the world. Every player that played under Ferguson will tell you that. Ferguson will, will tell you that himself. But United, in my opinion, don't have a coach at the club like a, a Rennie Malunstein at the moment, a guy we've both spoken to, Phil, a guy who has been there, done it, worn the T-shirt in that coaching staff, who you can say on a, a daily basis, he's leading the sessions and he's got a proven track record for working with top elite footballers. That's something that concerns me. Maybe it's me being naive, but at the same time, the level of performances indicate that the standard of coaching may be an issue. And I, I don't want to, as I say, make too much of an assumption into that, but what I'm seeing concerns me. And when you look at the experience of the staff, it's hard not to be tempted to make a correlation between the two. Well, I never really see Solskjaer in conversation with Mike Phelan. I see him constantly sitting beside Michael Carrick and talking to him. And I'm sitting there going, this is the oddest number one, number two I've ever seen. I mean, you look at Mourinho and Faria, they were inseparable. Right? Ferguson, Kidd, dude, they were always synonymous with each other. Top managers and their assistants, always synonymous with each other. They were always well known. You know, Carlos Kiros was such an important member for Manchester United, especially with getting Ronaldo and other players. And we didn't have a great relationship with Roy Keane. But if you listen to players at the time, Carlos Kiros was an exceptional coach and um, players really liked him. I'm looking at Mike Phelan and going, it just looks so peripheral to me. What's his input? Because it seems to me for Solskjaer's in constant dialogue with Carrick um, and, and McKenna, Phelan seems to be off on his own. I, I just don't understand it. Another thing that sort of bothered me at the weekend, and I know I probably shouldn't, but I, I didn't didn't appreciate Solskjaer giggling in the 93rd minute because it didn't reflect my mood. And I doubt it reflected the vast majority of Manchester United. I'm not, not saying he should be performative and sitting there with a big long face on, but and I, it just to me sends the wrong message. Like, I, I want to know, and I'm certain that he is, right? Uh, but... I need to feel that you feel what I feel. I need to. Are you okay with this? Because some of the language that you use in press conferences suggests to me that you're not too bothered or concerned about where they are. Yes, United are sitting two points off the top, Calm. But let's remember this. Take a look at United's start. Right. If you look at say Chelsea, Chelsea have already played Arsenal away, Liverpool away, Villa at home, which they won, Spurs and City. Right. Liverpool have played Chelsea and City. Who have United played? So United have this run of fixtures coming up. It's really, really, really massive. And to me, we're going to find out in the next six weeks exactly what United need to do. If Solskjaer comes out of this with United playing well and won the vast majority of their games, and then I will be ecstatic. Trust me. 
But if we are playing like this and United get taken apart in one or two of those games, Ollie's going to be in big, big trouble, Callum. He's going to be in big trouble, and, and I don't want to be overly dramatic, but I would go as far as saying these next six weeks really are do or die for his reign at the football club. And the reason I say that is if United go into these games with the current level of performance that, that we are seeing, there's a high probability they could lose two or three of those football matches. If United at the end of October or mid-November have lost four or five Premier League games already, I don't see how after three years in post getting Ronaldo, Varane and Sancho in the summer that any board of directors serious about challenging for major honours could say we're going in the right direction. For me, I would say that's been a regression and you'd be seeing that and you'd be looking to address it. Now, the one thing that I did say on last week's show and it's something that I am still adamant about in my opinion, and this is something that the All Out people need to hear, there is no obvious successor to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, in my opinion. For me, there's no clear candidate out there who I can say right here, right now, who's available and who is a genuine upgrade. That worries me. I think if United do decide to change manager, whether it's this season or next summer, there has to be an obvious candidate out there that you're looking at and saying, he can keep, come in and really help take this team to that next level because the names that have been mentioned and currently I work with some of the people online who are desperate for a change. Conte, the man who fell out with everyone and anyone at Chelsea, haven't we been there before with Mourinho? Um, people have talked about Pochettino in the past. He, he lost a one-horse race in the French League and he's hardly been pulling mm-hmm. up trees during his time in Paris so far. People have mentioned managers like Graham Potter. Is he really an upgrade on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at this time? Could, no disrespect to him. Could you imagine Graham Potter managing Cristiano Ronaldo at this stage of his career? For me, it would just scream Rodgers when he was at Liverpool all over again, where he was maybe a good coach, but the job just came far too soon for him. So these names have been banded about, but you have to ask yourself, will they realistically improve United overnight the way Tuchel did compared to Lampard? No, I don't think so. I don't think there's a manager like a Tuchel, a Klopp, a Guardiola sitting out there waiting, ready to come in and sweep United to glory. So it's it's an interesting period. The reason I've said do or die is I think Solskjaer will absolutely survive as long as it isn't a disastrous six weeks. Mm -hmm. I hope hope and pray it's not a disastrous six weeks because I would love nothing more than for United to win the vast majority of these games, to be playing wonderful football, Mm -hmm. for Solskjaer to be delivering another title. I've got no personal agenda against him. I've mentioned the fact that I'm, I'm I'm nervous and lingering doubts are coming in over his ability to take this team forward medium term. But I back him 100%. I want to see him succeed. He needs to deliver results over the next six weeks. And if he can produce positive momentum, you've talked about the form of the hair, look at Sean recent years with the, the fight back he's had in form, mm-hmm. then there'd be nothing to, to doubt me that he could get to the end of the season and really make a fight of it. But as I said earlier, if the current form that we are seeing remains kiss goodbye to any challenge for the major honours. But as I say, football's a funny old game. In, in three weeks' time, we could be talking about a totally different team in terms of performance and results, and fingers crossed we are. Well, look, Guy Neville said something that I have to agree with, in a sense that Solskjaer, when he took over the club and where he's taken the club to, uh, has been fantastic. The contrast between what we had on the Mourinho, and anyone that argues otherwise, because they don't like Solskjaer, is just being either disingenuous or an idiot. The... What was happening under Mourinho was a catastrophe. The football club was at rock bottom. The mood was horrendous. The football was unwatchable. It was toxic. It wasn't fun to watch United anymore. It was just dreadful. Right? They had to make a change. 
Now, did they pick the best man for the job? Clearly not, right? So they stumbled upon a solution because there was nothing in Solskjaer's track record that says he could do the job. He was the temporary manager to try to get someone that was more long-term. I completely understood why they gave him the job. Again, more down to how bad it was on the Mourinho than anything else because, once again, it felt good to watch United. They were playing exciting attacking football on the front foot. They're a club legend. Everything seemed to be happy again at the football club and the club couldn't risk making a mess again because had they brought in someone like Pochettino and then we see what happened to PSG, say he makes a mess, they would have been slaughtered. You you sacked Solskjaer, a club legend who was doing unbelievable. And by the way, a lot of people seeing see people asking for Solskjaer out would have been the first ones with the knives out had United not have hired him um, and appointed someone else and got it wrong. How could you be so stupid? You had everything in your hands and even though you made a mess of something that you accidentally got right. So I completely understood why they did it. I don't believe, I think he, if they had a sacked him the year, the year that they signed Fernandez prior to that, he probably couldn't have complained. But once again, he was badly let down that summer by atrocious recruitment by once again, United not buying a key player that they need that cost them. Right. And here we are again. So I think, Gary Neville is right to say that Solskjaer brought the football club to a place where now a top, top manager can come in and take United to that next level because that's the hardest jump that we need to make. That's the difference between good and great. Lots of people are good, but few people are great. Here's the problem, and you touched on it, Callum. How many people at Manchester United know what a top manager looks like? How many people above Solskjaer? have experienced success at Old Trafford. This football club is unrecognisable from the one that Ferguson uh, had. It's it's similar by name only. There's nobody above Solskjaer that has any idea what a top manager is and what it looks like. Would you trust those people to get a trendy manager like Nagelsmann, right? You can go over the obvious solutions like Conte and everything else. But if you wanted to be a visionary and appoint someone like a Nagelsmann, would you trust United to get that right? I certainly wouldn't. Right? And what happens at Hoffenheim and other clubs is very different because when you come into Manchester United, as Pochettino was finding at a PSG, you have to manage personalities that you don't have at these other football clubs. Ronaldo, for example, you have to get players that respect you, that trust you and believe in what you're telling them so they do what you tell them so that they don't second guess what you tell them and go, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I know more than him. That is what United need. But who? I don't want to see Conte in the sense that I don't want to see 5-3-2. I don't want to see negative football. Right? I don't want to see that at Old Trafford. I want to see someone that is brave. Klopp, you heard at the weekend, telling his players, be brave, be brave. That's what I want to see at United. I want to see someone that tells Manchester United players to believe in themselves, to go on the front foot and pose themselves on games and let the opposition worry about you. Stop picking game plans to contain, to, 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 um, to, to hold the opposition, right? to contain them rather than we're Manchester United, we go on the front foot, we got the best players in the world, let them worry about us. And, and that to me is when you look at what Tuchel did when he came into Chelsea and fixed what Lampard couldn't fix, that to me is the one area that I have question marks over Solskjaer. And as I was hoping we'd get the answers this season, Cam, but the only thing I'm seeing this season is that we still haven't, we aren't close to making that jump yet. Absolutely. And, and as you've just, you've just hinted at, there are far more questions than answers, which is the last thing I expected 
to see after the transfer window United had. What is United's style of play? What is United's strongest eleven? Why don't United play with the same intensity of their so-called competitors? These are questions that you'd be hoping you would see being answered relatively quickly, given the quality of player that's been brought in. We did say, to be fair, Phil, before the first game of the season, that despite the fact that these that Sancho and Varane are, are high-quality footballers, they may take some time to adapt because they hadn't played in England before, and, and that's fair. Ronaldo coming in knows that it completely changes that narrative in the sense that if you sign one of the genuine best players on the planet, one of the best players to ever play the game, you're going to be under pressure from training session one, never mind the hit game one. And I think that's something that, that Ollie is finding. I think if United hadn't signed Sancho, people would be looking at this differently. Um, sorry, hadn't signed Ronaldo, I think people would be looking at this differently. They'd be saying, right, two points off the top, it's still quite tight. Varane and Sancho maybe easing themselves in. We'll see the best of United during this October period or just after it. With Ronaldo coming in, it just adds that expectation from fans, from him, from the, his teammates. And you'd be hoping from the coaching staff as well, but the lack of intensity has to be addressed. Um, after this international break, God willing, there won't be lots of injuries or, or quarantine needed for, for players. And hopefully we can see a positive start through October. But the thing that worries me about these big games already is we've both talked about Fred being a bit of a liability in, in games. Mm-hmm. Um, he might have a good game, but he'll have a really rash 10 minutes. And Is Fred going to start in the majority of those big games? You would have to think yes. And for me, that is the big concern because he's shown that he likes to favour the two holders in McTominay and Fred in these type of games and if he does that and Pogba ends up playing from the left again when will we ever really see Sancho get that extended run that he clearly needs to to, to get fitness there's, there's, as I say there's just far more questions than there are answers when I look at Sancho mate I see a couple of things I see a player that's short on confidence I'm realising that he doesn't have lightning speed that he relies a lot on his individual skill and close ability. But because he doesn't have the confidence yet, he gets caught in possession a lot. He loses the ball a lot. Um, there's, obviously, you can see the quality. But he doesn't look particularly like, like he's really happy. He looks like he's frustrated with his form. He looks like he doesn't feel like a Manchester United player yet. And that's understandable. Look, you get players, they can take a time to take time to sell. And as I said in other podcasts, prior to him coming here, he had never played in the Premier League. So, you know, this is, he's still a very young player. It's still an adjustment period. Um, and you do have to feel your way in. You see it, Jack Relish at City. You know, Jack Relish hasn't found his form yet either. I have complete confidence that Sancho will be a, a wonderful football player for Manchester United. But the scrutiny United is different than it is at City. You know, so United have had a bit of misfortune. With VAR decisions, you saw the unbelievable decision at Liverpool this weekend, which, um, you know, for, for Jurgen Klopp to never shut up about VAR, he certainly found, certainly went very quiet this weekend. Um, if I was Solskjaer, I would come out and make sure I buried so Liverpool on that James Milner decision, because if it was in reverse, we would hear the opposite. So, um, you know, Ferguson's, or, or Solskjaer's referenced Jurgen Klopp talking about VAR in, in reference to Manchester United and it affecting how United get to seasons? Well, then turn the tables on him. Do you see him? So, um, 
you know, anyway, they, yeah, they, but Callum, the bad luck is also a bad omen to me too. Because one of the things that great managers have is they have luck. And I look at Solskjaer and I feel like, you know, if you remember that Melissa Reddit article, she was dead wrong in what she said about the West Ham game. But right in some sense that sometimes, just like we saw against Villarreal, United could build out and the headline trumps what we just saw. It's easy when you see Ronaldo score in the 95th minute to get a winner to say, forget about analysis, just enjoy it. No question about that. But you can't forget what happened because in failure, in defeat, that's where your lessons are. If you didn't look at that first 70 minutes as a Manchester United coach, manager or someone else who's responsible for high United play and say, we got lucky, that can't happen again. You're not doing your job. What I don't understand, Calm, is when you know, I keep hearing we need a response, we need a response. I mean, I wish we got the same response on the pitch that we get in social media with these essays that I don't read. Why do you need to come out and start so slow with such intensity in games they badly need to win? Then they get a goal, then we see it. Why isn't that there from the start? That is a serious problem. And how many times last season did we see United concede goals early enough? It, it always key moments in the first 10 minutes of the first half or towards the end of the first half or the first five minutes of the second half or towards the last five minutes of the end of the game. These key moments in games when concentration is key, United would always concede. And I said last week, you can't keep coming from behind. You need to be proactive, not reactive. And you can't be a reactive team. We go behind, we find ourselves. You're not going to get away with that every week. You need to impose yourself on games. Go ahead and find a way to be good enough to not concede, to not be always a mistake in your game. Because you see that goal they give away? That was a disgrace. We've seen that too many times. Basixi here, we've seen it too many times where schoolboy errors at this level that shouldn't be happening are resulting in goals. I mean, even the Villa goal, right? That's just so poor. Cavani is responsible for marking Courtney House. I think it was a score that goal. Why? To me, I think um, when you're a set-piece coach and you're asking, I, I, I'm clearly not a forward at Cavani's level, but anyone who's been a forward knows you're not defensively minded. You don't know how to sense danger. You don't know how to mark. You drift mentally. You're all over the place. And you shouldn't be marking someone like that. That's a dangerous threat to goal, right? Because forwards don't know how to defend. I mean, yeah, they'll fool themselves in, their bo- in the way of the ball. And I remember Cavani clearing one off the landing for them way last season. But um, for the most part... Um, I think it was Fulham, I can't remember, or Everton or something. But for the most part, you don't have forwards marking key players in goals because that's when they concede. And, and to me, that I don't understand. Like, I look at that and I'm going, have you made a progress with these signings? It's hard to say they have. It's hard to say that they have. And the thing that worries me with it as well, playing two holding midfielders in a game and having a, an elite centre-back like Varane joining the football club would make you think that United won't be able to be ripped open so easily on the counter-attack. Mm-hmm. But time and time again this season when United have conceded, conceded goals, you think of that Newcastle goal from Mankio, you think of the goal at the weekend from Townsend, United are absolutely ripped on the counter-attack where mm-hmm. all it takes is one simple error and the team are in. And as I say, with two holding midfielders in your squad, that just should not be happening. Whether Fred is a limited footballer, as we both agree or not, two defensively or so-called defensively minded midfielders, surely the whole point of them being in the team 
is to stop you being absolutely ravaged on the counter. Those two guys' job isn't to score goals and assist. It's to break up play and get it to the better players. If they're not doing that, then you have to change the, the both starting because if United are getting ripped open by teams like, no disrespect, Newcastle and Everton at home mm-hmm. on the counter like that, then you have to be more proactive and start a Pogba in that game and say, OK, we might concede a goal, but we're going to score three. Because, as I say, it just infuriates me to see an approach with players like Fred McTominay relied on in home matches and then see them not not solely be responsible, but largely responsible for some of the goals by neglecting their position and allowing United to be cut open. It's just, it's amateur. And as you mentioned with the Istanbul goal as well that United conceded, that was that was park football. That was, that was Sunday morning stuff. And even at the weekend there, as soon as Fred makes that error and you see the ball going behind to Townsend, you just... You just know, and and you're just you're just watching your TV, or, or if you're at the game looking on with disdain, thinking, how on earth can it be that easy? And I know United in the big games, as I mentioned about ten minutes ago, are generally good in the big games. They they get really up for it. So sorry to be fair, I said some phenomenal results against some of the the, the, the so-called uh, Hollywood coaches, but it just it your luck eventually runs out. And you've mentioned the fact that he appears at times to be an unlucky manager. In those big games, United at times have carried a wee bit of luck, but they have earned that as well. If that luck omits itself from United in these next few weeks, then as I say, it could be very painful. But something has to change and something has to change quickly because everything that we've talked about in this show, Phil, whether it be susceptible to counter, being poor at set pieces, lacking intensity... We're heading into October, November. That sort of stuff has to be addressed. If that's continuing in four weeks' time and United are getting decent results but are still performing in an abject fashion, then questions still have to be answered because there can't be more games like Villarreal because eventually your luck runs out. Well, it's one thing if you see a Luke Eileen 30-yard strike in the top corner. There's nothing you can do about that. And I've also said it's not Solskjaer's fault when United miss guilty edge opportunities in games. Players have to also take responsibility. But what is straight from the training pitch is a couple of things. Tempo, cohesion, passing, and organisation at set pieces. That's all from the training pitch. That's all prepared. Those are incremental things that you can work on. Right? What, you can't, what you can't legislate for is player missing a one-on-one opportunity. Right? Bruno Fernandes putting the penalty with the bar. You can't legislate for that. that, that can ha- so that's out of his control. But what is within his control doesn't look great, Callum. Now, and as I was saying at the start of this podcast, and I think these are ominous signs, we're starting to see some fractures in that dressing room. Those players have always played for Solskjaer. They've always given him 100%. They've always got a result when he's been under immense pressure. But for the first time, he talked, Solskjaer said about Van der Beek, once I feel like it's affecting the other players, I remove them from the group. Well, how do you do that with Ronaldo? You can't. You can, and and that is going to be the the very telling situation. Ronaldo is is as you said, Phil earlier. He's a signing that either make or breaks you as a manager when you're in Solskjaer's position, in the sense that he's such a superstar that he could help propel you over the finish line. But quite similarly, if things go badly, like we saw at the weekend against Everton, he can make sure you never get a sight of the finishing line, and you'll be gone, and then you'll be forgotten about if someone else comes in and takes t- takes the club. Um, whether that be in a forward direction, we don't know, but takes the club on. That situation, 
worries me in the sense that United, as we've said, are going into a really tough run of fixtures. And if Ronaldo's that unhappy about drawing it home to Everton, what's he going to be like if he has to trudge off the pitch having been beaten by two or three goals at one of United's big rivals? Don't forget, he was linked heavily with Manchester City in the summer. I'm mm-hmm. not saying that obviously with engineer a move there, I'm not saying anything like that. But at the same time, if he has to trudge off a pitch at the Etihad or Anfield this season on the back of a big defeat, it's going to it's going to get toxic really quickly, and and that storming down the tunnel at home is going to become leaks to the media. It's going to become mm-hmm. um, talk about who Ronaldo would maybe prefer as a next manager. He won't say it directly, but you just know we've seen it at Barcelona even when Messi was there. It leaks out Messi's not happy working under such and such a manager. Think Xavi would be a better fit or whatever. All of that stuff will go on, and if that happens, it's going to be hard for for Oli to to maintain. A calmness about himself because the clout that Ronaldo has is it's just unbelievable. And no player is bigger than a football club, and I would never say Ronaldo is bigger than Manchester United. But in terms of online traffic and controlling a narrative, Ronaldo is one of the very few footballers that is is bigger than any football club in terms of getting his message out there because the amount of followers that he has across all of his social media platforms trump any club in the world. And for me, that's a big concern that things go wrong because if he wants to make a statement or get a message out there that is taken seriously and listened to, it's only a click of the button away. Whereas years ago when Ferguson was in charge, you think of the other great managers like Wenger, etc. in the charge in the late 90s, early 2000s, they could control within, even when they had players like Roy Keane or Patrick Vera, now with social media and the following that he's got of hundreds, literally hundreds of millions of people, mm-hmm. he can change the narrative in an instant, which is a scary thought for, for any manager, never mind someone like Ollie, who is a club legend, but is not at that no. experience level, who's used to dealing with personalities like this. Callum, <clears throat> Rooney was bigger than David Moyes, okay? And David Moyes was never going to win a fight with Wayne Rooney, right? Cristiano Ronaldo will be setting the mood inside that dressing room, not not Solskjaer. Those players tweeted like fans when Ronaldo was sent. He will be he will be much more of an influence on those players than Solskjaer. You're talking about a player for the vast majority of those young players who was their idol. You talked about Andros Townsend talking about that was his idol, right? Players of other teams, right? Talking about the same thing. Um, Villa as well. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo is a much more imposing, dominating figure in that dressing room than Solskjaer. And whatever his mood is, will determine what the mood is inside that dressing room. And I can assure you of this. Cristiano Ronaldo will not be will not be concerned about what Solskjaer thinks of him or what he should do. Um, and I don't believe Solskjaer has the clout to say, because ultimately you, you say to a player, if you don't conform to how I want you to play or how I want this club to be, you don't play. But Solskjaer can't do that to Ronaldo. Solskjaer can't drop him. That's his career. If he drops Ronaldo and doesn't win like he does at the weekend, he's finished. Right? It, it, that will end him. So Ronaldo knows he has to play. Right? And the commercial value of Ronaldo, there is no way when it comes down to him or me that Solskjaer wins that fight. And let me tell you something. As Andrea Pirlo found out at Juventus, who was in a similar situation to Solskjaer, you don't win, you get sacked. 
And then and my belief is that Solskjaer would resign before he would be sacked. But this is a fight that Solskjaer, when you sign Ronaldo, it really is a massive roll of the dice because it's going to go one of two ways. It's either going to be great or you're done. You have to take the risk because Solskjaer has to win. And imagine where United would be without Ronaldo at this point. The pressure of Solskjaer beyond it would be unbelievable. So this is a very risky move. We said this, the pros and cons of Ronaldo, the cons are he will dominate your dressing room. Jadon Sancho is not looking at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and going, you're my idol. He's looking at Cristiano Ronaldo and saying that. Those players are looking at Ronaldo. He's um, almost as big as the game itself. Right? Biggest footballer, most notorious footballer in the world. He is known everywhere. Everyone knows who he is. He's bigger than Messi. He's better looking, bottom line. Um, and the, he is someone that is so seismic at United that he will determine what happens inside that football club. He also has the unequivocal support of Sir Alex Ferguson. And this was always the other side of this that was a concern. When you bring in someone that Ferguson idolizes, adores, that's a test of his loyalty to Solskjaer if things start to go wrong. And I don't think Solskjaer wins that fight. I think Ronaldo does. And I think that um, this is very, very precarious. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's attitude on the pitch will be commensurate with what it is off the pitch. And I think if you're Solskjaer and you're not concerned about that, you should be. Um, so much, but you know, I just don't understand the team selection at the weekend when you're coming up on an international break. It made no sense to me. It made no sense, and he has to learn very quickly from that. And Ronaldo, given the reaction we saw on the field, won't be shy in letting him know um, whether that's in the dressing room or on a one-to-one basis. That I want to be starting every single game that I declare myself fit for. We talked last season about Cavani um, declaring himself fit and maybe not fit at times, depending on how he how he, he felt within himself and his body. Ronaldo's the sort of player that wants to play. Messi's the same every single minute of every single game, unless there's a, a good reason not to. You look at the two times Ronaldo has been dropped or taken off this season, Phil. You lose to young boys, you draw Everton. Ronaldo has scope to go to the manager and say... You've not put me on the park for an extended period in both games and you've had a really negative result in both games. Don't do it again. And whether Ollie, um, <laughs> whether Ollie's brave enough um, to, to try and drop him or take him off again in, in the next few weeks will be very telling. I personally don't think he will. And I think he will have to just start him every single week um, unless he has a serious injury because with Ferguson making those comments, with Ronaldo doing that publicly, and as you've said, there could only be one winner in that battle. He has to be streetwise about it. And I think he is clever enough to be streetwise about it. But only time will tell. I completely agree, mate. Uh, I think we should go ahead and leave it there. Um, thanks to all of you for all your downloads, likes, retweets, support, folks. Um, I wish we were doing this on a happier note. Uh, probably shouldn't be too downbeat, considering you're only a couple of points off the top. But... The concern for me is the performances and the performances against the team that were dropping points because these are the games that we talked about. You know, they can't lose, can't drop points in because this is where you lose the title. As long, if you don't lose your big games and win the rest, you win the title. Right? You draw your big games, you're OK. But if you lose against these teams, like we said, Chelsea have already beaten Villa, Spurs beat Villa, you know, um, I think Liverpool beat them or City beat them, I can't remember. Um, but uh, anyway... Let's see what happens. 
uh, Callum, all the best, mate. Thank you for everything. I hope you have a brilliant day. Uh, thanks to all of you folks for all your downloads, likes, and support. Much appreciated. And, uh, we'll be back again next week. All the best. Take care. Thanks, mate. Bye.